This week we're just going to continue in our series on Moses. And I wanted to look at one section of that story, you know, of the, of the initial stages of the journey. And uh, it was Israel's flight through the Red Sea. And, you know, the Red Sea has a lot of significance to us as believers. It represents water baptism, you know, of identifying with the death of Christ going under the waters. Um, you know, if Christ died for us, and so we have to die to ourselves and identify with the death of Christ. But, you know, I, ha- I have yet to meet someone who stayed under the water of baptisms, right? Have you met anyone? Hopefully everyone came up. And so that's, that's our goal. Our goal is resurrection, the life of Christ and his resurrection life and power, right, flowing through us. And, you know, but, but really, the, the Red Sea and Israel's experience, it, it's really, this is the pathway of the impossible. There's no way Israel could have made, it, made this their pathway in their own strength and in their, their own wisdom. And, uh, you know, but that's like Christ, I mean, who is resurrected. You know, no one in their own strength can just come back to life. Right? They die and say, oh, wait, I had to come back. I forgot to say something. Right? No one has that power. Right? And, but in the journey of the believer, right, there's, there's situations where he, he leads us through what is impossible in our own strength that we can't do in our own strength. But as we follow God and yield to him, it produces life and it produces resurrection life and power. And so I, I want to just consider this, a few points from this story of the Red Sea that can be instructive to us, maybe some things we can bring out from it. Now, the first thing we can understand is, you know, Israel went out of Egypt rejoicing. They had been enriched, right? Because all the Egyptians said, come on, can you leave so our nation can stop being destroyed? And they kind of threw money at them and jewelry and all sorts of riches and and you know and one since that was their enrichment because of the the trial they went through god was giving them all their back pay from the years of labor you could say but um they went out rejoicing and things seemed so bright but all of a sudden their journey got a new sense of urgency um, there was a new motivation to to go faster to keep going forward in their journey because they looked behind them and they saw the enemy pursuing. And all of a sudden, the joy faded (laughs) and fear came up, right? That was the reaction in their hearts. So Exodus 14 and verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and they beheld the Egyptians marching after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, here's the standard response of Israel throughout their journey, it's your fault, right? Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us to die in the wilderness, and you've dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is is not this word that we did tell you in Egypt, say, let us alone, that we can serve the Egyptians? It had been better to serve than to die. That's quite a statement. Better to serve in bondage than to die in the wilderness. And so, you know, there's a couple of things that kind of jump out 
at this. It, of course, they became afraid, but it says they lifted up their eyes and they saw the Egyptians. They became afraid or you could say terrified. And maybe they thought, well, we're, we're about to get captured again and be brought back into captivity or worse, right? That, that they weren't going to be brought into captivity, just destroyed. And that's instructive for us because we can be in situations where we can get afraid because we lift up our eyes on the natural situation and we, may, we come to our own conclusions. We're about to die, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> you know, like the disciples, they, they saw the wind and the waves and they looked to their master who, was, who had only led them and they said, don't you care about us? You know, all thought of his care fled at the sight of the wind and the waves. But really, it, you know, Israel had to overcome this. They had to overcome this fear to be able to go on in their pathway. And in fact, there was one way that that, that happened, and that was by having a change of perspective. Right? To see and believe and to come to trust that God had a pathway for them going forward. Right? The problem is the pathway wasn't seen. It was covered with water. It was invisible. It was impossible, right? They, they thought rock and hard place, and the hard place was coming to kill them, right? Between the, the, the ocean and, the, and the, the Egyptians, right? So their way was unknowable, you know? And sometimes when you're in a situation that's unknowable, you have the opportunity to look with your natural eyes and fear can rise up. But God's answer to that was stop looking. Cease from looking, from panicking and trying things, you know, trying to figure things out. Instead, lift your eyes to the Lord, to the one who controls the impossible or who can do the impossible. Right? And so that was the reply through Moses, Exodus 14, 13. Moses said to the people, fear not, but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more and forever. Now, when you read the account, when Moses said this, it's not like he had his, just before he had his rod in his hand to stretch it out. He said this and then some things took place. And so really he's saying, you know, you are going to see this, but you just need to calm down and trust that this is what you shall see. And so they had to stop looking with their natural eyes and instead look to God with eyes of faith. Now, what does it mean to have eyes of faith? It kind of reminds me of a, of a little story from Matthew chapter 9. And this is kind of an obscure one. Sometimes you get this confused with blind Bartimaeus, but this is a separate experience. But in Matthew 9, there's two men who are blind and they're following the Lord and they heard Jesus is near. And so they followed him. And, and as he was near, they just started shouting. And what were they shouting? My, Matthew 9, 27, son of David, have mercy on us. And they were in, Jesus was in the way. They were following. Have mercy. Have mercy on us. What's interesting is that if you're really reading the account and seeing, Jesus keeps walking. 
he keeps going. You know, and it, he keeps going until he enters into a house. So he didn't give them an immediate answer. They had to keep shouting and keep following. Right? And so they just kept going. And they followed him all the way into the house. And so you can kind of imagine, I mean, there's probably a crowd following Jesus. And here's these blind men. I guess if I was a blind man, I'd have my staff and I'd be, oh, oh, excuse me, sorry, get out. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to see the master. Oh, maybe a little pushing match to get, because I want to see. And I'm going to get into this house where he is. And they got into the house. And for, in verse 28, Matthew 9, 28, it says, When he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe, believe you that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now these men were blind. They couldn't see anything in the natural. And maybe that was an advantage in this situation because it made them desperate. They couldn't see anything else except Jesus. They saw him, not through natural eyes, but they were able to see him as the one who could do the impossible. You see, they had eyes of faith. They believed Jesus was the answer for their need and for their situation. And so he says, according to your faith, let it be done. Now, we know that faith is divine, right? Faith only comes from heaven, Right? And it's a substance from God that he, he gives to, to his people, to us. But you know, at, his core, at its core, the meaning of faith is persuasion, or really it means to be firmly persuaded. And so these men looked at Jesus, and they became firmly persuaded that he could perform the miracle that they needed. You know, and this is how God would, would lead us through situations you know, and sometimes we go through many situations and, you know, one to another. And sometimes it's like we can consider them like a crisis of trust. Right? Divinely orchestrated situations that make us choose. What are we going to look to? Are we going to look with our natural eyes or are we going to look with eyes of faith and believe? You know, if we can learn to stand still and see the salvation of God. And sometimes we just have to shut our eyes and become like those blind men to what's around us and just keep pressing through the crowd till we come into that house where Jesus is. And we say, Lord, I'm here. And he says, I'll give to you as you have believed, right? According to your faith. And so there's the, that need to have eyes of faith to, to look to the one who can do what's impossible. And, you know, as that took place with Israel, there began to be a switch, right? A, a positive effect, you could say. Because what the Egyptians meant as a terror upon Israel, right? So they're coming with horses and chariots and they're just charging Israel, right? They wanted it to be terrible for Israel to bring terror upon them. Well, it kind of turned out to be a terrible experience for Egypt, right? And, and it actually says in Psalm 106 and verse 22, it says, God did wondrous things in the land of Ham, which is Egypt, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Well, he performed some mighty miracles in Egypt, 
and terrible things in the Red Sea. Now it was a bit scary for Israel, but they passed right through. But the terror ended up being upon the enemies of the Lord. And you know, that's, that's something should, that should be a part of our faith, part of our, our thought process and our memory, right? That the enemy is trying to make us fearful of trusting God so that instead we'll, we'll be self-reliant. And when we become self-reliant, he can slip in things that we can start to rely upon and right to get us really to go back into captivity, back to Egypt. But if we can keep our eyes upon him, it's actually the enemy that's afraid. He is afraid of a people who have eyes of faith that can see and believe in the promises of God and trust in his leading and his power to deliver and to save. And so, you know, the pathway of the people of God leads to salvation, but the pathway of the enemy, that's really the terrible, terrifying pathway because they know they're going to be destroyed. But there's a key to be found in this that allows the terror to come upon the enemy instead of to the people of God. Because there's a time to stand still, but there's also a time to move forward. All right, so Moses already proclaimed, stand still, reorient yourself to have eyes of faith. But then in, in verse 15, Exodus 14, 15, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Why are you crying unto me? The time for crying is done. Right? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. All right, there's a season of prayer, but then there's a season of action. And so now the moment had come, it's time to move. Right? Eventually, there has to be a moving forward. Or perhaps you could say there, there has to be a response of faith, a response to the trumpet call. Uh, and really, this is one of the main keys to understanding the journey of Israel and our spiritual journey, our journey of faith. God designs every experience we go through with a purpose. It's to propel us forward. It's to keep us moving. Right? It's to do different things at different, in our hearts at different stages of our journey, but it's all to propel us to the next stage and the next stage. Israel always had trouble because they never responded to the call to go forward. They were always looking back or they are looking at their present circumstance saying, this is hard, when God wanted to just use it to propel them to something new and something greater, something deeper. And so often they would say, well, I'm fine. I, I don't, I'm fine where I am, you know, going, going here, uh, no, no thanks. And then when, when Moses, Moses got to, or when they got to Kadesh Barnea and they, they had the opportunity to enter into the land, well, no, <laughs> no thanks, I'm fine in the wilderness. I, I don't wanna face the giants. But that opened the door to trouble. You know, Pastor Bailey shared a, a story how he was visiting a certain church uh, in, a, in a country, and he, said, he felt the word of the Lord for the church was that God had a, a purpose for them. He wanted to move them on into that purpose, and he was sharing that in a message. But after the message, an elder in the church stood up and prayed a simple prayer. And he said, Lord, we don't want to move on. 
we are comfortable where we are. Can you imagine someone praying that? A leader in the church standing up and praying that after a message from the Lord, let's move on. <laughs> well, of course, Pastor Bailey was pretty discerning and he understood that was a spirit of unbelief that had come upon that elder. The problem was, is that it now had come upon the congregation because they received that word. And so, you know, Pastor Bailey shared that message and traveled on. And, and he said several years later, he came back to the church and he was preaching again. And this time the Lord had a little more instructive and powerful message for them. Um, and he, he actually um, came to install a new pastor at that church. And God spoke something to him. He said, I want you to tell someone on the platform to come and take your belt and tie your hands together. That would take some uh, bravery for, for a minister to do, you know. And so he had someone tie his hands together. And then, you know, he proclaimed to the congregation as an example. He said, you have bound the hands of the pastors that I have sent to you because of their unbelief. And he reminded them of what happened in that meeting, though all those years ago, that he had preached. Um, and he said, that, that man and that spirit stopped you from going in. But now God is appointing you to another pastor, and he is going to take you in. And when he preached that, there was a lot of tears and repentance as they realized you know, what had taken place. But God in his graciousness was giving them an opportunity to respond and to go on. And in that service, they consecrated themselves. Lord, okay, we want to go on. We don't want that, that, that spirit anymore. You know, and they were able to respond to the Lord and walk in that new pathway. You know, and so there's, it's so vital that we remember, Lord, you're calling me on, and I want to walk in that way. Now let's consider what is the way, you know, in the light of, of we're looking at Israel, right? What is the way that we must walk on? And what, or what's an example of that or type? Well, in Exodus 14, 22, it says, The children went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right and on their left. And so really... All of these people, it was 600,000 men. And so the, the idea, the thought is, is there's probably millions of people total that had to pass through this narrow channel, this wall on the right and on the left. I don't know how wide it was, probably enough to get them through in one night, but it, was, it wasn't the whole ocean. It was a little channel that they could walk through on dry land with a wall on the right and a wall on the left. And so God opened the way through the night as the wind was blowing and they were able to walk, walk through that. It was really a miracle, right? And some people have proposed, I don't know if you've heard theories of how that happened. Some people propose there's like a little land bridge that's just under the water that the Lord let the water recede and they were able to walk on dry ground. That doesn't really fit with the story because it says a wall of water. That's supernatural. In the history of the world, I don't know if anyone's walked up to a wall of water and gone, unless you're in an aquarium right behind glass. But God, 
God did not use glass for this miracle. But yet, they had to walk through this pathway with a wall on the left and a wall on the right. But it, that kind of reminds us of what Jesus said about our pathway. In Matthew 7, verse 13, and I'm going to read from the ISV. It says, Go in to the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the road is spacious that leads to destruction. Many people are entering by that. How narrow is the gate and how constricted is the road that leads to life? And there aren't many people who find it. You know, it's in our nature, especially as we Americans, we like things big. We don't appreciate smallness, right? We like a big house, a big yard, and a big car, and a, you know, lots of space and room uh, because, you know, we want lots of options to have things our way and to choose our way. But, but when it comes to spiritual, our spiritual journey, right, choosing our way is the road that leads to destruction. And many people are walking upon that way. But God's pathway, it's narrow, it's constricted, and relatively few choose that way, but it's the way that leads to eternal life. Now, I'm sure that was a little intimidating, right? Walking through walls of water, you know, with walls of water on either side of you. I, I don't know. In one sense, it would have been really interesting to see. In the other sense, Let's not tarry. <laughs> Let's get going. <laughs> I don't want to be around when this wall disappears or when it, when it collapses, which it did soon after. Right? Because it was that wall of water that wiped away the enemy that was pursuing them. Right? And so in reality, the enemy is deathly afraid of those who can follow God's straight and constricted pathway. Because that's their destruction. When we walk in righteousness, that is their destruction. And so it's that thought of walking in the way God has appointed for us and how He's ordained His plan for our lives. It's challenging. You know, one more description of this experience is that it says God led them through the, in a path through the sea, but it's, it's also described as through the depths. And so that thought of a shallow, you know, walking doesn't really work with Scripture. In, in Psalm 106 and verse 9, it says, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And so you, you get the sense as they were kind of looking up at those waters, those walls, and they might have been pretty high if it's through the depths. I don't know how deep it was. And they were thinking, Lord, hold these walls up till I get through. But that's, that's the reality of being led by the Spirit right, in our journey. There's going to be mountaintops. We appreciate that. You know, like Peter, Lord, can we build some houses on this mountain and stay here a while? But then we have to move on into the valley. And sometimes those valleys run deep. Sometimes there's water in the valley. We have to cross some rivers and, and so forth to get through that. There's waters there. But God's promise is that he will be with us. There's a verse in Isaiah 43, verse 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And even sometimes you'll walk through the fire. You'll not be burned, nor the flame scorch you. 
And so God's people are being led through fire and through water, but it won't destroy us. In fact, they're doing us a favor because it's the deep waters that cause the enemy to be seen no more. And we could read those, those verses in Exodus 14, 27. It says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. And while the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. Right? They were seen no more, every single one, a total victory. But that comes as we follow God into the deep places, through the narrow pathways, those things that can, with our natural eyes, are very scary, concerning, troubling at times, confining, restricting. But that's the pathway that leads to life, it, that leads to his promises being fulfilled. And they do us good when we can hold our peace and keep looking to him, he'll fight for us. There's one last result we can consider uh, from this experience, and that was when they came out to the, the other side. You know, it was that song of rejoicing that Israel made after God brought them out. And we can read this in Exodus 15.1. It says, Then sang Moses, and the children of Israel, this song, unto the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare him a habitation, my Father's God. I will exalt him. You know, the song of Moses after they came through the Red Sea. And we already considered the song of Moses earlier on in the series, you know, and we kind of understood from the book of Revelation, you know, that the song of Moses, it wasn't just a victorious um, cry he gave after being delivered from Egypt, but it's an eternal song. It's a song that will be sung for eternity, right? And it's sung by overcomers who have followed the Lamb, right? And what, are, what have they been through? Well, the Red Sea or different experiences in their lives where they've had to follow God through the deep places, through the confining places, right? With enemies pursuing them through dangers. And you kind of, there's lots of other examples you can fill in in the scriptures of like the, like in Hebrews 11 and men and women of faith and what they endured because they wanted a better, better resurrection. They had a hope of better promises being fulfilled. And so it became a song for them that the overcomers will sing. It will be the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And of course, what I, what I love about this psalm is it, it, it praises the Lord, it gives thanksgiving, but it actually, it describes our ultimate destination. It says this in verse 17, Exodus 15, 17. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. You know, what's the end of the matter for those who follow 
the lamb, follow him through the deep places, you know, the straight and narrow pathway, he'll plant them in his holy mountain. And of course, it's not just the mountain over there in Jerusalem. And thank God for that, right? We don't have to get on a plane and, and meet God there. But it's the mountain he established in heaven of Mount Zion. And so this experience of Israel and how Moses led them through the Red Sea is very instructive to us. It's the way to victory over our spiritual enemies, but it's also the way to his holy mountain, to Zion. And just as that group in, in Revelation 14 stood on, on the mountain of Zion before the throne, you know, in God's dwelling place, that could be our destination as well. But we understand it will lead us through a few experiences that are impossible for us to pass through in our own strength or with our own eyes, with our own understanding. You know, maybe experiences where we need something from heaven. Maybe it's a divine touch in our bodies or something in our minds or we need divine provision or for God to move in a situation. We can't do that but we serve a God who can do all things. And, and so as the fear starts to rise up, let's look with eyes of faith. Sometimes we need to stop, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord and believe for God to intervene and to work. And we, we stop believing what we see with our eyes. We gotta become like those blind men and just push through so that we come into the dwelling place of Christ. But then when we... No. And when he's showing us the way to go, we follow. We follow in the way because there comes a time when we have to move, when we have to respond to the trumpet call and walk through that little gap that brings us out into a different place, into the other side. Because ultimately, he wants to plant a song within us and lead us to his holy mountain the mountain of our inheritance, but it's the mountain of the Lord where we will sing that song for all eternity. And Lord, we thank you for your plan and your purpose for our lives. Lord, we want to declare with those eyes of faith, Lord, we believe, we trust in you. Lord, we trust in your goodness and your mercy. Lord, and even though we see difficulties at times with our natural eyes and we experience hardship. Lord, we experience confinement. We experience lack. Lord, we choose to look to you with eyes of faith. Lord, we choose to quiet ourselves. Lord, and to wait upon you. And Lord, we're looking to you that you would meet with us. And that Lord, you would show us the way to go. And that Lord, when you show us, give us the grace to move forward. Give us the grace to follow you in the pathway you've ordained. Oh God, because Lord, we want to sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And Lord, we don't just want to sing it where we are. We want to sing it on your holy mountain. Oh, do that in our lives, we pray. Accomplish your good work in our midst, in our church, in our fellowship. Oh Lord, that your song could be birthed and that we could all sing it. Lord, in that day on your mountain, we ask and we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.